0: You are listening to GraceWay's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message, and I hope that as we go through this series, be weird. And as you're hearing the words of Jesus, you are hearing past the words and to the thoughts. Jesus. Teaches us in lots of different places. Hey, I want you to have my mind. I want you to think about things the way that I think about. I want your thoughts to be renewed. I want you to take your thoughts captive. I want you to think about your thoughts. I want you to doubt your doubts. I want you to question your feelings. And I want you to change your mind to be like the mind of Jesus. There's not a lot of spaces in Scripture where we get just Jesus talking for a significant amount of time, but the Sermon on the Mount is one of those times and I hope that you are hearing past the words into the thoughts of God himself. This is how God thinks about the world, about kingdom, about power, about money, about relationships, about religion and it's incumbent on us as God's people to order our thoughts according to God's thoughts. Let me say it to you a little bit more specifically. Do you want God's blessing? Lots of ways we can say it. You want God's anointing, God's presence, God's power, God's blessing, God's move. Here's how. you got to do it God's way. Lots of times we want God's blessing on what we're doing. That's never how it works. God says, when you do it my way, I'll bless it. When you do it my way, I'll bless it. This is God's way. This is God's way. This is how God thinks about things. and And I hope that you are allowing the Holy Spirit of God to get into your thoughts, not just hearing God's words. So I'm gonna read through our text here today. We're going to end at it. Uh, I got some things that I wanna talk to you about today, but in Matthew chapter six and verse 16, if you have a Bible, bring it to church. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Matthew six and verse 16, and when you fast, when, right? All you fasters, you guys love to fast, right? No, see, we're all ready. We're already not on the same page with Jesus. When you fast, Jesus assumes that we fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is going to continue to talk about true religion, Religion that comes from relationship, a relationship that we have to God himself. These functions, these expressions of our love for God show up in what we call religion. And true religion is not concerned with the externals. It's not concerned with this or what version of the Bible you have under your arm, or what you drove in with, or the house that you're gonna drive back to, those are not the functions of your faith. Your faith is tied to a relationship with God that is found in love. Listen, God doesn't want your obligation. God doesn't want your it's the right thing to do. Try this for me, fellas. Go home tonight and say to your wife, baby, I love you so much. And when she says why, because she always says why, doesn't she? Why do you love me? Say this, because it's the right thing to do. Oh my God. And see how that goes. Did you hear her on the front? Oh my God, did you, not, you did not <laughs> just say, enjoy that couch, right? Yeah, no, we don't. We, our, our hearts aren't touched by it's the right thing to do, but we bring our love to God out of obligation out of it's the right thing to do. And if, if we're honest, uh, I sometimes bring my love for God out of fear because I'm afraid what will happen if I don't do the right thing. Can I just say you, God's not interested in that. God, God wants your heart. God wants your love. God wants your affection. So I want to hang on, on the rim of these whens that Jesus has spoken about. When you give to the poor, church. When you give to the poor, Christian. When you pray, and when you fast. Now each of these really kind of get up under the externals of our life and our experience and dig into our heart. So let me, let me just be honest with you. Uh, I don't want to win these things. Do you? No, no, we don't. Uh, it, it, these are not, not the things that are really the wins of my life. And here's why. Because I don't, I don't want to because they clash with my desires, they clash with my practice. I don't, I don't want to give to somebody that I don't know their story, I don't know if they have a job, I don't know what they're gonna do with it. I need my money, I don't wanna give it to them. I'm trying to do stuff with my money, not give it to people that I don't know if they, if they deserve it. You say, ooh, that's ugly, but that's the truth, isn't it? I don't really want to pray, because praying makes me feel small. Praying makes me feel like I can't sort it out. Praying makes me feel like I I couldn't come to a good conclusion. I didn't have enough control, so I got to pray. I don't don't like how prayer, rightly understood, is violent to my ego. Prayer is a humbling activity. I I like figuring it out, don't you? I like feeling like, look at me, I did it. Jesus says, when you pray. And and listen, (laughs) I definitely don't want to fast. I want to eat. Come on, somebody. Yeah, I, I want all of it. I want all of it. Just put some hot fudge right on top of it. I don't even care what it is, right? I'm not trying to get less. I want, I want more, and that, that's the point. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in your externals. I want your desire. I want your, here's the word that we're going to talk about today. I want your ambition. We're going to talk about ambition today, and, and let me just preface this. Um, I love you. Today, if you are tracking with me, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be. Right. Uh, we got some business that we need to do if we're really going to move past just the words and into the heart that Jesus is conveying here. Jesus is not talking about the external practices that make Graceway what it is. He's talking about the ambitions and the wants and the desires that make your relationship with God what it is or what it isn't. He wants to dig up under What is ambition? I think that ambition is misunderstood in the church. I think it's in need of rescue. I think that we put ambition in the same category as turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That God doesn't really like ambition. God likes passivity. God likes taking it easy. God likes laid back. God doesn't like us asserting ourselves. We should be humble. But we tend to take the world's grid on most of these issues. The world always thinks in twos. Here's the twos of ambition in the world. You're either a dog, you're a savage, you're never satisfied, you're driven, you're building something, you're focused, you're an entrepreneur, you have ambition. Or you're laid back, you're chill, you're a wallflower. You're just letting the world come to you, hoping that the universe blesses you. That's the only two options you know that Jesus never plays by our rules? That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you, this is how you think it is, but that's not actually how it is. And the problem with our two-grid system is that when church folks look at the world and say, God wants me to be meek and weak and laid back, it sure seems like the narcissists and the sociopaths are getting what they want. So it feels like if I'm doing it Jesus' way when it comes to ambition, I am setting myself up to lose so that God will be happy. But maybe it's that we don't understand the biblical understanding of ambition. We tend to divide the world into twos, rich and poor, uh, successful and not successful, the haves and the have-nots, right? And we typically associate ambition with wealth or success. The people who are rich, successful and have, have ambition. The other folks don't. But ambition doesn't speak to what you have. Ambition doesn't speak to your possessions. Exist, ambition doesn't speak to what you drive or what you wear or the house that you go back to. Okay. We live in a country right now that's so enamored with being rich that there are people who say they are Christians who equate having stuff to godliness. It's called the prosperity gospel, which is antithetical to one another. Okay. So let me just real quickly unpack this for you, okay? This is one of the silliest heresies in the pantheon of theology. It, it makes absolutely no sense. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because it directly contradicts the teachings of the Bible when it comes to temporary possessions, number one. Number two, it completely contradicts the great command, which is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the prosperity gospel was God's going to give me what I want if I do what he says I should do. It makes you... It makes the gospel about you, not about Jesus and about the nations. Thirdly, it's silly, because anybody who has been saved for more than 38 seconds know that even though their life got better, it didn't get easier. So to say to somebody, you want to become a Christian so you can be happy, wealthy, have all your dreams come true is, listen to me, it's just a con, it's a hustle. It's not in the Bible, it's not true. Jesus says, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, take up your cross and die daily. Does that sound like your bank account's getting padded? No. Jesus says, you got to die to yourself. Jesus says, you, you, it, when, when you're weak, God's going to be strong. Not when you're rich, God's going to be happy. And, and then fourthly, it can only exist in a wealthy context. The only place that the prosperity gospel works is in a developed country. We just had a mission team who got back from the Yucatan. Exactly, yeah, we're glad that they're back. Can you imagine going into the jungles of the Yucatan to the Mayan people and say, if you guys really loved Jesus, you wouldn't be living in these huts? You know, we do this in America. We think that we are the center of God's plan. That's why a lot of you think that the English Bible is the only Bible. It's not. Listen, God's been doing things before America came along, y'all. I hope he has. I hope it didn't start with us. But what we do is we take our culture, our culture infects, and I'm saying that specifically, our theology, and then we outsource it and say it's Jesus. Jesus who was the king who became homeless. That's the guy who wants to make you rich. Jesus who was the king who became a carpenter. That's the guy. A non-unionized carpenter. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Please don't send me an email about the union, all right? It's all good. It's all good. Jesus, who when he was on the cross, the soldiers gambled for his only possession, which was one set of clothes. This is the guy who wants to make you rich. Listen, the prosperity gospel is heresy, flat out. It's a hustle. It's a con. It's not in the Bible. It's not how God works. But lots of times what the church says is they take a bad theology and the response theology is equally and, and oppositely heretical, which is this. If God doesn't want you to be rich, it's a two-grid system, he must want you to be, yeah, which is also not in the Bible. God doesn't say if you really love God, you're going to be a monk in the desert who has nothing. That's not what God says, because the poor can be just as greedy as the wealthy. Yeah, I've met them. I've been them. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Poor folks are just as concerned about having stuff as rich folks are. So, so here's what I want you to understand. I don't think that God cares about what you have. I don't think God cares about the, the brand of this jacket or my boots or what's on my wrist or what I drove. I don't, I, I, I don't think that God cares. I think God cares about, about what you want. I think God cares about why I care about the brand that is this jacket, why I care about what's on my wrist, why I care about what's on my feet, why I care about the address. You see, Jesus' teaching will always push past the external. We love Jesus staying at the external because it's easier. Jesus never stays at the external. Jesus pushes past the external and calls me to evaluate what I want to have and why I want to have it. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about uh, questioning your feelings? Thinking about your thoughts? Doubting your doubts? Um, Spending some time and writing down your desires and then looking at it and saying, should this be true? I understand that it's true, should it be true? What do these desires say about me? What do they say about my value system? The the economic status of my heart. Why do I value what I value? And, And here, why do I buy what I buy? Why do you buy what you buy? Want what you want, have what you have. Then we're really doing business. I don't care what you drove in on, I don't care. I care why. I don't care how you're dressed. I don't care where you work. I don't care what letters you have after. And I care why. And if you'll let the Spirit of God get into that room, He'll change you. He'll change you. So let's think about this and let's name some of the values. I want to talk about worldly ambition today. And I want to talk about godly ambition. Worldly ambition and godly ambition. You all still with me? When it comes to worldly ambition, I think one of the best texts in Scripture is 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy, and he says, Hey, Tim, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich, notice it doesn't say those who are rich. Those who desire to be rich. You can be anywhere on the socioeconomic status and have desires to have more. That's what he's talking about. Not have, want to have Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Three things about worldly ambition. Number one is there's no line between need and want. There's no line between need and want. Paul speaks to an ongoing tension in our hearts, and it is this that my personal economy, my personal perspective of my worth, Is easily manipulatable. Try it today. Go home and watch the game, unless it's the Cowboys, and then love Jesus more, all right? (laughs) Trying to help you today, all right? Yeah, go home and watch the game, and as you're watching the game, a commercial is gonna pop up, and it's gonna be a truck that's nicer than your truck, and they're gonna have some handsome person in it who's especially masculine, and the overarching tone is: If you want to be masculine, you need to buy this truck, and you're going to look out into your driveway and go, "Oh, look at my truck." <laughs> See how easy that was? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been at a restaurant and you order something and you're excited to order something, and then somebody else ordered something and you go, "Oh, I wish I, I want some of that." Can I? Have... have you ever thought you were looking nice when you walked out of the house, and then you come to church and you walk by somebody else and you're like? Doggone done it. You see how easy it is? How easy it is for your heart to be manipulated. For you to think, I thought I was doing good. I, 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 thought, I thought I had what I needed. And, and just a commercial or a plate of food or a stranger walking by. And now I feel less than. Paul says uh, that we do have needs, but look at how he names them food and clothing. What? Food and clothing? What about a house? What about a car? What about a big screen TV, Paul? I need these things. Now, Paul says, no, no, your needs are food, food and clothing. And, and, and Paul says that when our needs, described as food and clothing, are met, our desires keep going. Yeah. This is the tension. That I do, especially in a country like America, Have what I need if I believe the Bible. Food and clothing, that's the line. But watch, I come up to need and watch what happens. I still have wants. And the further that I live in that tension, have you ever noticed how your wants start acting like your needs? I said this to my wife the other day. We were sitting there watching a movie and I looked at her and I said, I need some ice cream. (laughs) What if she had said to me, baby, you don't need it, you want it. I would have said, I need it. You tell me that I want it. I need it. Yeah, we we do this. You see, the longer that I live past what I actually need, my needs and my wants start feeling the same to me. They they, They start feeling the same. And Paul says that that step past your needs into your wants is a trap. He says it's a snare. It's a snare that has caused many into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So so here's what, what Paul says. I want you to imagine that the line of what you need is right here. He says, listen, it's fair for you to need what you need, but any step past need is a slippery slope. Any step over the line of need and into want is a slippery slope, why? Because your wants are so easily manipulated. You can misunderstand them so easily. Desire beyond need is shaky ground. So watch, I I think about my life and I think about my wants and I say, do I have what I need? Yeah, I do. But I still want, and here's what Paul says, be careful where you set your foot because you are on slippery, shaky ground when you think that your needs and your wants are the same thing. But what does the world say? Nah, they're the same. You should have all of it, baby. You should have all of who you really wanted. You would would act like you needed. That's what the world says. Secondly, uh, worldly ambition is whatever I want, I just want more. Have you ever met somebody who got a little bit of power? What's the thing that they want next? More power. (laughs) Have you ever gotten a raise? I'm talking about you, not other people, all right? You got a raise, and you're like, I'm rich! Woo-hoo! Yeah, and then you went out and spent the extra money. And then the raise didn't feel like a raise, and you needed more of a raise. Yeah. Hey. <clears throat> you ready to be uncomfortable? Yeah. Okay, she says yeah. She's ready, you all gotta get it, all right? <laughs> Do you remember before you got married that you had some sex, you didn't know it was going to be that, did you? <laughs> She's like, hello. And then you wanted, hey, fellas, why can't you stop looking at porn? Because you get a little bit, and then you want more. Because what I want, baby, I want it all. I want it, I want it all. How, how many cars do you need? How many cars do you need? How many pairs of shoes do you need? Uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> How much money does a vacation actually take? How many palm trees? How many stars? All of them, yeah. All right, how, how much food do you actually need? We are, we are one of the most unhealthy generations in the history of the world because it's always just more. How much, how much more do you need in retirement to be secure? How much security do you need? How much, how much affirmation do you need? Listen, uh, how much is enough? The world says there is no limit. How much more do you need? I don't know. Just more than I have. That's what the world says. The the Bible says in Proverbs 27 and verse 20, the eyes of man are never full. The Bible already told us that this was going to happen. This this arms race to more that defines this country, corporately and individually, it's never going to be enough. You're never going to wake up one day and say, you know what? I need less power. You know what, I need less money. You know what I need less... You get the. No, you're not going to do it. And the world markets and says to you, you need things that you didn't know that you needed. Thirdly, uh, whatever I want, I need to want it more than anyone else. This is the way the world thinks about it. There is no difference between wants and needs. What I want, I want more of it. And what I want, I need to want more than you because you want what I want. So a quick look at all the big name podcasters, at the motivational speakers, at the high-end entrepreneurs, at the TED talkers, you'll you'll hear the same idea. These practices will give you higher productivity and greater longevity so that you can do more, so that you can have more, so that you can be more. That's the general idea, now now here's the thing. Uh, It's true at some level. It's true at some level that there are certain perspectives that we should have the integrity to not want to be normal. I say this to my kids all the time. I'm not trying to raise normal kids. I've seen normal kids. I'm not impressed. Right? Listen, I'm not trying to pastor a normal church. I'm not. The reason I come in here and I'm, I'm constantly challenging y'all is because I, I don't want to be a part of a normal church. I've been to normal church. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want normal. I want, I want exceptional, right? Uh, and, and, and we value work, and we value integrity, and we value grit, and we value work ethic. Proverbs repeatedly says, hey, don't be lazy. Work hard. Yeah. It, it's one thing to work out of that integrity and that belief. It's another thing to work insatiably. It's another thing to work so that I can get what I want, and to view other people as standing in the way of what I deserve. It's one thing to view work as a blessing to others, and glorifying to God, and viewing work as for you to get what you deserve, and you're in my way. You're in my way of my raise. You're in my way of my respect. You're in my way of the life that I'm trying to build. Listen, you watch social media right now. It is a bloody shark pool. You're in my way. Your opinion's in my way. Your perspective's in my way. Your personhood's in my way. But the world says, whatever you want, you gotta want it. You gotta want it more. Now, I need you to understand that desire and motivation do take you far. But at some point, they turn in on themselves. Listen, unlimited desire has several names, greed, covetousness, lust, but the street name is just more. I just want more. And the thing that I need you to understand is that all of those motivational TED talker podcaster types, they're lying to you. They're lying to you because wanting it isn't enough. Wanting is not a foregone conclusion. We do this with our kids. Baby, you can be anything that you want to be. I want to be the President of the United States. Well, if that's what you want, you can be. No, they can't. No, they can't. Listen, your creator created you with limitations. So that where you stop, you call out to God. The world says you're limitless. Who does that remove from the equation? God, it removes dependence. It removes humility. It removes caring for those who aren't where you are. It removes prayer. It removes fasting. The world says you can have anything that you want, and what you want is what you need, and you should just want more, and what you want, just want it more than them, and if they get in your way, run them over, because that's your truth. How's that going? How's the world looking right now? with that definition of ambition. So how, do, how does God, if I if am correct that God doesn't ever operate on the world's two-grid system, what is God's definition of, of ambition? All right. Uh, the first thing is this, in godly ambition, the order matters. The order matters. So in scripture, God regularly talks about the order that you do things. And he says that your order is your priority scale. So how about we do it like this? Um, I want you to pray first. No, no, I don't want to pray first. I want to try to figure it out first. I want to, try to, I want to try to pull my network together and chat GPT this thing and get all the things. And then if I get stuck and life pushes me into a corner and I got nowhere to look but up, then I'll pray last. Well, that's your priority structure. Your priority structure is you like the idea of you being able to figure it out. You like the idea of having bootstraps that you can pull on. You like the idea of being a self-made man or woman. You don't like the idea of being humble and dependent on calling out on a God who can do what you can't do. So God says, hey, I want you to pray first. I want you to give first. No, no, I'm not trying to give first. I got bills, Lord. I got bills. And if it so happens that at the end of me paying my needs and my wants, because they're the same thing, whatever I have left over, I'm not going to give you the first ten, I'll give you the last two. And God says, nah, keep your two. It was all mine to begin with. The point was, the point was that you would give it first, that you would give me first because you know that that work you did is only enabled by my grace and mercy being new in the morning. Because you know that I'm sovereign over this and that and you. And you know that it's an act of worship not to give to God fifth, to give to God first. The order matters. Listen to me. Some of you, you say you want the blessing of God. I want the the anointing of God on my life. But you're trying to fit God into your life. God will never be fit. He wants to be first. God's not going to let you fit him into your life. On Sunday morning and maybe every now and again at midweek, God says, I'm first or I'm nothing. I'm first or I'm nothing. I don't play second. I'm God. I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I don't do second. And if you want my blessing, if you want my presence, then you got to follow my order. You got to follow my order. Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God, I need you to bless my, you fill in the blank. God says, no, seek first my kingdom and then I'll bless both. Hear me. When you try to fit God into wherever he fits, into the cracks of your life, you don't get the full presence and blessing and power of God because God doesn't do fit. God says, you put me first and I'll bless the first and what comes next, but if you put me second, I'll never bless what you put in my place. I'll never bless what you put in my place. You see, godly ambition isn't about not having ambition. Godly ambition isn't about, I wanna make a better life for my family. I wanna provide, for. I wanna leave an inheritance to my children's children. I get that. I want my wife to feel blessed and protected and provided for and safe and cared for. I want to be diligent with this. I want to give my kids the very best that I can afford to give them. All of those things are fine as long as they aren't first. Listen, when you say, God, I'll give you everything that you are due gladly, God says, now I can bless all of it. Now I can bless all of it. Whose kingdom do you prioritize? with your listen this isn't a subjective question look at your calendar look at your look at your phone usage whose kingdom do you prioritize with your time with your talents with your treasure what are you building with your life if i looked at your life objectively meaning i looked at your money and i looked at your time what are you building with your life and who is it for and what are you hoping to get from it what are you hoping to get from the life that you're building Not what, I don't care about what, why? Why does your money go there? Why does your time go there? God doesn't want your stuff, he wants your heart. And he wants it first. Lots of us, we are ambitious about our kingdom and complacent about God's. And wondering why God doesn't bless what we're ambitious about. Because God says the order matters. Secondly, uh, godly ambition means I don't pursue more I pursue enough. Can I tell you, um, I have no problem being greedy. I don't. I have no problem being ambitious. I have no problem wanting more. I don't wake up in the morning and go, today's the day, I'm gonna want more stuff. Anyone like me? Y'all are just gonna leave me standing up here with my hand raised, huh? <laughs> All right. I'm gonna preach on honesty next week. Listen, I get up in the morning and and greed and covetousness and lust meets me. Contentment, however, you see, I need you to understand something. It actually takes more energy for you to be content than it does for you to be greedy. The reason is that if I try to pursue more and enough, I will always default to the world's way. I'll always default to the world's way. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong, Paul says. This this is difficult for us to wrap our head around. That that when I have less, I actually have more. That when I'm weak, I'm actually stronger. Here's what I need you to understand. Desire is never a stop. Desire is never a stop, it's only a replace. Okay, so here's how this works a lot of times. We have desires that we know we shouldn't have. Yes? Anyone? You're going to leave me hanging on this one too, fair enough. I have desires that I know I shouldn't have. A lot of times we come into church and the preacher says, stop having that desire, fair enough. Go home, don't want it, don't want it, don't want it, don't, don't want it, don't want it, don't, don't, don't. Don't want it, don't want it, don't want it. And by Tuesday, you're like, you know what? Forget it. Give it all to me. Here's why. Because desire isn't a stop start. God created you with desire. It is inherent in you because it's what he wants you to give him. The world comes along and corrupts and compromises it. And the preacher stands up and says, stop doing what God made you to do. Desire is never a stop, it's only a replace, meaning the only way you're gonna stop wanting it is if you find something you want more. The only way, fellas, that you're gonna stop looking at porn is when purity is more valuable to you than the porn is. The reason isn't because you don't have something on your phone to keep you from looking at it. The reason is that you don't want, you don't have a cost-benefit analysis on purity. The reason that you struggle with generosity is that you feel safer not being generous because you think you control your money, even though COVID told you the opposite. You feel safer not giving. You feel safer with that 10% in your pocket than you do with God being your provider. The reason is because that thing that God told you to do, you intellectually know it, but you don't emotionally want it. But until you look at what God says, not as just being a religious way, but as being a better way, you're going to have a hard time stopping this because you don't actually want this. You say, that's really hard for me to swallow, but it's the truth, isn't it? You see, Jesus doesn't care about your 10%. He cares about what you feel when you keep your 10% in your pocket. He doesn't care about the website you clicked on. He cares about your value assimilation, your economic view on purity and the sanctity of your marriage. And most of us, fellas, let's just be straight with one another. I like how I feel when I'm looking at it more than I surmise purity would feel. That's just the truth of it. And ladies, I'm just going to leave you alone for right now, all right? Don't, don't wait to not want. The eyes of man are never full. It isn't going to happen. You have to find something of greater value. Hebrews 13, I gotta hurry up here. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So we go home. I'm content, I'm content, I'm content. Turn that commercial off. I'm content, I'm content, I'm content, right? But Paul says, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So watch, you can either love money or you can have God's presence, which is more valuable to you. We love to quote, Quote, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Football players put it on their face, oh, they love Jesus, wow. Okay, let's read the whole text. (laughs) Philippians 4, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me. Paul is putting a value proposition in front of you. He's saying you can either have greed or you can be content. You can either get what you think comes from it or you can be strengthened by God as your provider. Jesus doesn't care about the dollars in the green paper. He cares about your heart and your desires and your affections and what you want. Thirdly, godly ambition is that I decide my desires. First, you still with me? First, the order matters. Second, I don't pursue more. I pursue enough. Thirdly, I decide my desires. And here's where we bring back in fasting. Think of fasting as an exercise that we should regularly do. It is a desire audit. It's a desire audit. Jesus even audits the practice of fasting. What does he say? Don't fast because you want to be seen fasting. Fast so that you can be in the presence of God. Fasting is not to ignore or to eliminate desire. Most of us think as fasting is here's something that I enjoy that I'm going to stop doing so that God is happy. I don't know. That's not what fasting is. Fasting isn't to eliminate desire. It's to aim desire. Fasting is not a takeaway. Fasting is to emphasize value. And so I say that lunch, that social media, that Netflix account, that thing that I do, is of less value to me than hearing from God. That thing that I do is of less value to me than the presence, the power, the clarity of God. And so when I take an audit of my desires, I identify lesser desires, and I aim them back at something that is worth more. I aim them back at something that is worth more. Philippians chapter 3 says this, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. A British word for poop. In order that I might, what? All of that's a loss as long as I have Jesus. Christian, today, my hope for you is that you be reminded of something, that you be reminded that there was a point in your life that nothing was more valuable to you than Jesus. There was a point in your life where hearing from God was the most important thing. There was a point in your life where you would cancel an appointment to spend time with God. There was a point in your life where it didn't matter what anybody said. If it contradicted what God said, you were going to do what God said. There was a point in your life where you were desperate to worship God. You didn't care if somebody was washing. You didn't care if it sounded. I want to remind you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is still that desirable. And I want to remind you as you're being pushed and pulled, as you're being marketed to, as all of these desires are coming at you, I want to remind you that Jesus is worth more than any of them. I want to remind you that he's still worth what he used to be worth to you. And I wanna challenge you to look at what you've replaced him with and fast from it. Look at what's become comparably important and get it out of your life so that you can enjoy Jesus again. Look look, look at what is competing with Jesus and say, I'm gonna stop that, I'm gonna come back to my first love. And I'm gonna put him first. I'm gonna seek his kingdom first. And if you're not a christian this isn't a reminder it's an invitation here's my invitation friend you're being conned you're being hustled all of these things that people say that you need you don't need all these things that people say will make you happy they will for a little bit of time but the thing that you need the thing that your heart needs when you're alone looking at the ceiling at night, the thing that your heart craves, it isn't out there, it isn't something that can be marketed to you, it isn't some experience that costs money, it's a relationship with a person named Jesus. And he wants to be your first love. Why? Because you're his. He's known you your whole life, loved you your whole life, and for free, for free, He wants a relationship with you, and he wants it today. Christian, be reminded, if you're not a Christian, be invited to a God who loves you first, who loves you best, who loves you always. Let today be the day of salvation. God, I love you today, and I thank you that you love me first as a 16-year-old kid. I thank you for the times, God, that I've so profoundly enjoyed your presence. Thank you for the times that I've been able to hear from you, the times you've worked in my life, the times that you provided. And, and Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times that I've gotten distracted. I found other things that were shiny, that I stopped believing that you were who you said that you were. Lord, I pray that you would remind me of your value, remind me of your worth, remind me of your place of supremacy in my life. And Lord, Would you let me, would you let us, would you let this church put you first? First in our hearts, first in our love, first in our worship. Lord, I pray for anybody who's in the room today who hasn't come home. Lord, I pray that you would take the blinders off their eyes right now, right in this moment, that the world's lying to them, that there is no value in it, that it only intends to use and discard That it gives momentary happiness at the expense of unconditional love. Lord, I pray that they would see you for who you are right now. They would see the world for what it is, and they would see you for who you are, and that they would be invited by your Holy Spirit into a free relationship with you. That you would save people today. That you would remind people today, and that you would call people home today, and that you'd be glorified by all of it. We love you, God, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.